Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Beat. What a week for all the wrong reasons for Arsenal Football Club. Three damaging defeats which have deflated a fine season all round. I'm Simon Collings and I'm joined by Football London's Kaya Kainak and Molly Hudson from The Times to look back on the FA Youth Cup final, Premier League and Women's Champions League losses. In there as well, we will strive to highlight some positives, although that won't always be easy. We're going to look at each game individually and offer up the good, a positive from the game, the bad, the worst of the game and the Arsenal. What does the game mean for the club as a whole? We will go chronologically. So let's kick off with the 5-1 FA Youth Cup defeat to West Ham at Emirates Stadium last week. Kaya, you were there. Kick us off with your good, bad and the Arsenal. Um, so the good was obviously the way the game started for Arsenal. They took a uh, a lead relatively early on. Uh, a fantastic run out from the back from Real Walters, who was probably the player of the night from an Arsenal perspective, which given that they lost 5-1, seems like an odd thing for a centre-back, but he was very impressive. Um, then Amari Benjamin went on to finish the rebound from Kozia Dubry's shot. Um, the bad, it feels harsh to pick on Josh Robinson, another centre-back who actually had a very good game aside from this, but his error right on halfway was uh, punished brutally by uh, Gideon Kadua, who scored a lob from just outside the centre circle. So not quite the halfway line. I don't think you can quite give it that territory, but very, very far out. And uh, it was a very impressive goal. And I've seen a few people talking about Ballon d'Or, content- not Ballon d'Or, sorry, Puskas Award contenders as that goal. And yeah, that's probably bad from an Arsenal perspective. And the Arsenal, I'd say, probably, probably the fact that it was, it was, you know, Jack Wilshere being involved, the fact that he was coaching the side, the fact that it felt like a very Arsenal affair, there's a lot of build-up to it, sort of focusing around how, obviously, Wilshere was in the team in 2009 and this was going to be the chance to to replicate that. But I do think it's in a relative success story so far, Jack Wilshere's reappointment. There were a few doubts when he came in. There were a few question marks, given that he's not really coached much before. He'd done a bit of coaching with the squad when he'd been back after um, training last season. But this, this has gone relatively well um, in the league. It's not been quite as impressive, but in the FAU Cup, getting to the final in your first season is, is a very impressive thing. So, yeah, that would probably be my, my point from the game to pick out that. Yeah, we saw we saw during the run, um, you know, a number of players sort of stood up and, and made a name for themselves. Do you think when, you know, Arsenal long-term, I think we heard from Per Mertesacker in the build-up to this game, you sort of seen some players there that you think could maybe in sort of three, four years' time try and be pushing to make that next step, try and be like the likes of Saka, Smithrow? Yeah, possibly. I think it's becoming more and more difficult for this generation of Arsenal youngsters. You see the team that Saka, Smithrow, Nketiah, Nelson, even Joe Willock came into. It wasn't as populated with sort of stars as this Arsenal team is now. And we've asked Wilshire about this, we've asked Mertesacker about this and that, that gap is getting bigger and that step up is getting higher for those young players to make. And their response is always, look, if, if the first team's getting better, Mikel Arteta's first team is getting better, then Arsenal's youth teams need to step up to that. And obviously the names that, that spring to mind are Ethan Winery, who's had his his first team bow already and caught the headlines there. But there's, there's players like Miles Lewis-Skelly, who have looked really impressive uh, in midfield. Ruel Waters has been on the first team bench a few times this season, particularly with the defensive injuries Arsenal have had recently. And, and the left-back, Lino Soja, is very impressive as well. Kozia Dubry is another one who I'd keep an eye on. But that gap is getting harder to fill for those young players. It's going to be more and more difficult to step up. And we'll start to see that the very, very elite players 
will rise and I think we'll start to see maybe that this this Haaland generation that's currently populating the Arsenal first team isn't necessarily the most normal thing. I think we've sort of seen that with the news about Charlie Patino this week. Obviously a very talented youngster and probably if he'd been in this team, we would have been talking about him as someone to step up. But that step up is very difficult to make. And uh, yeah, I think we'll see that a lot of the next few seasons. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these players won't really experience playing in sort of front of 30,000 fans. Molly, for them, for these young players, what will it do for them to experience an atmosphere like that? And also for Wilshire as well, you know, you've got to think he's someone who I think he's spoken quite publicly about wanting to be a first team manager one day, an opportunity for him to get a bit exposure, but probably not the night that he would have wanted to to be to make his mark on. I think part of the the sort of, aside from the romanticism of it being Wilshire, part of what he can bring, right, as a manager is having dealt with those kind of nights, being in and around big evenings at the Emirates and and understanding that from both a playing perspective, but also what it means to the club on a, on a kind of wider note, I guess. So I think it will have been huge for those players. And I suppose, you know, of course you want it to be a really positive experience, but we know that, you know, quite often in football, you actually learn more in your defeats, as cliche as that kind of is. Um, and I think for those young players, obviously it didn't go to plan, but clearly with Wiltshire there, there's there's a lot of potential in that team. They they obviously want to take it seriously. You see that the fans are there, you know, it's the same with the women's team at the moment. There's such a good vibe around the club, or there was before this week when the um, results have, have kind of ruined it slightly. But yeah, I think I think even though they lost, they can take a lot of positives from it. And, and you know what, also for Wilshire, because although obviously he's a, he's a huge name, in this role, he's still kind of at the start of that journey. So I think he will have also learned a lot from that and, and will kind of believe in that process. Yeah, we, we've heard a lot um, across this whole week and throughout this whole season about the sort of synergy between the clubs, you know, the women's teams, the youth teams, the senior team. From from the women's perspective, Jonas, I think, has spoken about how they sort of work with the academy in preparation for games and things. Just, just explain some of the listeners who don't know how that is sort of Arsenal maximising the youth players and also the women's players to sort of prepare both for each other's matches. Yeah, I think Jonas has, has kind of spoke quite well on it and, and so has Emma Hayes actually at Chelsea that sometimes when particularly it seems to be something that these teams try and do going into the Champions League is, is just having that more physical competition that you can get from playing the, the boys' academy rather than trying to kind of replicate a game with your squad. I mean, particularly Arsenal at the moment, they're struggling to get, you know, 11 senior fit women players because they've got that many injuries. So I think what you get from playing the boys' academy is you get com- competition You and it it feels as though the, when you first play the boys' academy, they win because they're more physical, they're quicker. And then the more often the women's team play them, they find ways to kind of outthink them to read the game better. And it develops different strengths in the women's team that they wouldn't normally face just by playing other women. So I think it's something that it's obviously something that a lot of the players have grown up with, you know, as kids, they will have all played either a girl on a boys team, or they would have been in a league where they were playing against boys teams. So I think it's quite interesting that if you speak to them now, they will talk about that being so important 
for their development, for finding different ways to win, that you, you can't just out sprint someone because a, a boy, even of that age, is probably going to be quicker than you. So I think it it develops a lot of different kind of strengths in a team. And I think for Arsenal, it's it is good to to utilize that bond, obviously being being at Colney, kind of having that one club mentality. We've seen so many of the executive team come out. You were there, um, Simon, when we were in Wolfsburg. There is that real sort of usage at the moment of all the teams and really pushing everyone forward. And I think it's just another way to really experience that. And also for the academy side from the other kind of thing, yes, maybe they're they're quicker, but they won't have the game management or that kind of thing that the women's team do have from being professionals and, you know, being fully grown adults or whatever. So I think it is definitely something that can benefit both teams. And we've actually seen it quite a lot across the division in fact as, as something that seems to really work and certainly the players seem to really enjoy it too now next up was the vital Premier League trip to the Etihad where Arsenal slipped to a 4-1 defeat as Pep Guardiola's solo side seized the momentum in the title race um, I've taken this one the good I mean it's, it's difficult to take positives from a from a 4-1 defeat to your title rivals. But I think the fact that Arsenal are just even in this position um, is a positive that they've got to take um, the start of the season. No one would have called this. Uh, no one would have said that they would be going into the title race in the last few games with a chance of winning it. So they need to to try and build on that. The bad, I think you've just got to go for the, the overall defensive performance, which has been a problem for Arsenal in, in the past few weeks where they've leaked goals, the solidity they had throughout the season has gone. Obviously, William Saliba's absence has been a big disappointment. And in terms of the Arsenal, what they can use to look forward, I think it just underlines that if Arteta needed to stress the point to the club that the project is by no means finished and needs reinforcement this summer, I think this defeat will, will really work in his favour when he sits down with the Cronkies and maps out what he needs to do because Arsenal needs strengthening. And uh, I think this game underlined that. Tyre, um you were there for what was a painful night for those those travelling Arsenal fans. Just just where did it go so wrong against City? And was it as a surprising a gap in between the two teams as, as you thought it would be? No, it wasn't surprising. Um it was it was as brutal as I thought it would be. Um and where it went wrong, I think was I think Mikel Arteta got his tactics wrong. I think he played right into City's hands with the way Arsenal tried to press high and continue playing the way they played all season. We sort of, a lot of the talk in the build-up was, would he change things? How would he look to accommodate the defensive deficiencies that the Arsenal team was suffering in those previous games? And he didn't really look to do anything. He got asked after the game, did you try and change or were you tempted to change anything? And he, he said, we did try and tweak a few things, but obviously that went out the window after five minutes. Having watched those first five minutes, I can't really tell you what those things he was trying to tweak were. Um, getting the defenders to push so high up, getting Thomas Partey to push so high up. It was sort of just every time Man City were able to get the ball over that press, which was a bit disjointed, a bit tired, a bit lacking in confidence. It was a real disaster for Arsenal because Kevin De Bruyne was running at their back line, Jack Grealish, Bernardo Silva, Erling Haaland. And Arsenal really suffered. And you saw, I've, I've seen a lot of sort of accusations of maybe bottling it or choking it at the final hurdle, all that kind of stuff. But I think... Maybe we saw the difference between the two managers, Mikel Arteta and Pep Guardiola, in the sense that Guardiola was willing to switch up his tactics in order to win this game. Man City don't really go long very often, but 
you know, in, in a week where Big Sam might be making his return to management, that sort of long-haul football seems to return to the Premier League. And it's interesting because Mikel Arteta has been so steadfastly bound to the style of play that's got Arsenal to where they are. And listen, they're top of the league because they played that way in football. But I wonder if he was able to, to live this game again, if he'd look to change things, if he'd look to maybe go for a more cautious approach, maybe a more defensive approach and try and sort of go there thinking that the result was the most important thing at this stage of the season rather than the performance. And I just think that maybe Arteta got a bit exposed as tactically naive in that situation. It's very easy to say after the fact, but I think we all could have told you that Rob Holding versus Erling Haaland as a 1v1 duel wasn't going to go well in Arsenal's favour. And Thomas Partey defending on his own pretty much against those City attackers, it was it was not pretty viewing from an Arsenal perspective. It's interesting that... Um... Kaya talks about, you know, adapting to the situation, changing the way they play, because Molly, that's been a, a big thing with the women's team under Jonas Edeval with all the injuries they've had. W- were you surprised to not see Arteta try something different? I mean, you know, Kaya saying he could have played a back three, try and get an extra midfield in there. Or do you think it's perhaps almost Arsenal being a victim of their own success that when you've been so good at playing away this season and you're there on the biggest night of the campaign... Arteta might have regretted coming away from it going, we didn't go and try and play the way we want to. I think you almost, like, it's it, it really reminds me of England women, and we've been saying this a lot, that plan A went so well, you didn't really need to have a plan B, or if you did have a plan B, you didn't use it enough to then feel confident enough to take it into a game against essentially the, the best team in the Premier League or, you know, in this case, arguably the best team in Europe at the moment. So I think that's sort of the problem, that how Arsenal want to play has worked so well under Arteta this season that, yes, maybe they could have changed things, but would it like would it have been enough at the end of the day when you look at kind of how good City were, the form that they're in, the players that they've got at their disposal? I guess when you're doing a plan B that you're not as comfortable with, in a way, you're almost starting off as a disadvantage. Like I know tactically, maybe it would have made more sense in time in in terms of trying to, you know, be a little bit more defensive and try and try and stop those city areas of of quality, I guess. But then you're losing something from yourself at the same time. So I think, I think it was a really difficult one for Arteta because kind of whatever he did, it wasn't going to be the the best possible outcome, was it? And I think it's difficult because it, you don't just want to say, well, City would have won anyway, but City probably would have won anyway. Um, so I think it it was just, sadly for Arsenal, a sort of case of, it was like Arsenal's done so well this season, but actually that's what you're up against. And I suppose that was the clearest demonstration of that when you just watch the game and see how good City were and how dominant they were kind of all across the pitch, you know, players that, in the in the way that Arteta wants to play, have had really good seasons. When you then put the one v one against Chelsea uh, against Manchester City, it's it's like night and day. And whether that was just a little bit of an off day, yes, but I just think there was such a gap, just in quality and depth as well. That you know we forget that with City, just just how many options they have there. So I think yeah, it it's hard to look back and think that Arteta should have gone a bit more defensive because yes he could have but ultimately would it have changed the result maybe they wouldn't have lost by as many goals but I think they probably still would have lost 
is that a big lesson for Arsenal to take, Kyle? Um, it's obviously hugely difficult to compete with City given the financial backing and the talent they've got available. But when you look looked at the two squads on the night, you know, City were without Nathan Ake. Kanji comes straight in and does a job. They've been without Phil Foden for the best part of a month. I don't think anyone's really noticed that. They benched Riyad Mahrez, who scored a hat-trick at Wembley. Is that the next stage that Arsenal need to try and get as close to as they can, where they can make changes to the eleven, and the team doesn't really doesn't really change? Because I think the one regret for Arsenal fans this season is that they've played City on three occasions and they've never really fielded their best eleven. But City would argue, you know, against Arsenal last week, they didn't get to field theirs, but they had the depth to cope with it. I think this is why. Um... Whenever you speak to Mikel Arteta or Edu or pretty much anyone involved in, in the club, they say the, the project is still not finished. There's still stages to go within this project. And if you look at how Arsenal have overhauled the squad, they've done it pretty quickly and pretty efficiently. But there are still a few remnants of days before Arteta arrived that, that maybe need to be moved on or upgraded or that kind of stuff. And not every signing has been right and Arsenal have to react to that and we've we seen that in the January window. A few of the players left, or we saw it over the summer when, for example, Nuno Tavares was brought in to be the, the backups. Kieran Tierney didn't really work out. They reacted, brought in Zinchenko, and, and they solved the problem. So this does take time. These take, it takes windows. And if you look at Liverpool, just as an example of a team that have been able to come up and sort of compete with Man City and go toe-to-toe with them for a prolonged period of time, it took them a while to build the team that they built. It took them a while to get Van Dyke and Allison, and everyone could see that this Liverpool team was was building towards something, but you could see they needed a few missing pieces. I think from an Arsenal perspective, the positive is that there's not too many pieces in their first eleven that are missing. But like you say, within the squad, compared to teams like Manchester City, and especially next season, the Champions League being back, if you want to compete on multiple fronts, you need to have a squad that's capable of doing that. And this is what Mikel Arteta will be saying in meetings. This is why Arsenal are going after players like Declan Rice and. You've seen them being linked to plenty more big names. And you'd like to think in the summer that they'll address some of the issues that have come up this season. Having said that, they have been desperately unlucky with injuries over the past week. I think losing Takara, Tomiyasu and William Saliba, both in the same game, is about as unlucky as you can get in terms of the the one area of the squad where Arsenal probably didn't want to lose anyone. I, I look, maybe the way they've coped with injuries to Gabriel Jesus, Thomas Partey has been absent at points this season, Zinchenko has been absent at points this season. They've been able to cope with that. But if you take away two of their uh, best defenders and you have to throw Rob Holding in there, then I think you do see some of the weaknesses in the squad. And that takes all well to fix. I think Arteta and Eddie are on the right path. And you'd like to think with some smart recruitment in the summer, they'll be able to do that. But like I say, it takes time. And maybe this Arsenal team isn't quite ready yet. But hopefully next season with a few sort of smart acquisitions in the summer, they'll be able to get there. Yeah, just a, a final point on it, Kai, from you. Um, a lot of the narrative around this title race is that how good an opportunity this is for Arsenal, given the troubles teams like Chelsea, Liverpool have had. Um, and this was a moment they really needed to seize. Do, do you agree with that view or do you try and take the slightly positive view, which we'll probably try and give some listeners who are a bit upset, it's all doom and gloom, that given Arsenal's squad is so young and players like Martinelli and like Saka should get even better, that there shouldn't necessarily be too big a worry that Arsenal have blown their one big chance possibly in the next sort of five, six years. Yeah, I think that. I think if you look at last season, people were saying this is the best chance Arsenal are going to have to finish in the top four for God knows how many years because various teams have fallen away and various teams aren't 
as sort of close up there. This season, it was a similar thing where people are saying this is going to be the best chance Arsenal have had to win the league. And in fairness, it has been their best chance to win the league for about 20 years. But like you say, this squad is young. Their, their two best players are both 21. They don't have many players over the age of 25, 26. Um, Jacker and Partey are both 29, 30. And Arsenal are looking to replace them or maybe give them more competition going forward with the type of players they're targeting in this summer window. So Arsenal are aware of where they need to upgrade the squad. I think that that means that they're going to get better next season. I don't think they'll go backwards. I think, obviously, the competition from the other teams is something you're going to have to consider. And Man United will probably get better. Um, Liverpool will get better. I don't know if Chelsea will be able to bridge that gap straight away. Newcastle are getting better. So it's going to be more difficult. But that is the very nature of being in the Premier League. It's always going to be difficult. It's always going to be hard. And I think Arsenal will get better from this point. And I think they'll be better equipped to compete. It'll be interesting to see how they cope with Champions League and whether that will be a spanner in their works and you know not being able to fully rotate almost an entire eleven. Not that Mikel Arteta really ever did that, but you know being able to make so many changes from Europa League to Premier League as opposed to Champions League to Premier League, where you kind of need your best players playing almost every game. It'll be interesting to see how they cope with that. Maybe that would be the factor I'd be more worried about. In terms of this being Arsenal's best opportunity, I'm not sure I buy that because this squad is so young. They're going to get better and. We've already seen that they bounce back from adversity pretty well. So I'd back them to go next season and, and challenge again and hopefully win it. Finally, Monday night saw Arsenal crash out of the Women's Champions League in heartbreaking fashion as a last gasp extra time goal sent Wolfsburg into the final instead. A 3-2 defeat coming in front of a sold-out Emirates Stadium. Molly, give us your good, bad and the Arsenal from that. So my good is going to be for Stina Blackstenius. Um, we spoke on the podcast, I think it was just after the January window was closed and it was all pretty doom and gloom, Arsenal women. They'd spent almost the entire transfer window looking for a striker because it basically been come to the conclusion that Stina wasn't going to be good enough to lead the line for the rest of the season, obviously with um, Vivian Miedemar out injured for the rest of it and also Beth Mead. Um, so she was she was pretty much written off. Um, a really public pursuit of Alessia Russo um, from Manchester United, which didn't come off. And then you were left with Stina, who was low on confidence, couldn't really score, like came, came to England with a pretty good reputation. Obviously, Jonas Eidevel knows her as well. Um, but she certainly hadn't hit the round running. Um, literally immediately after that transfer window, it was almost like, right, that's closed now. I'm here. They're going to have to play me because literally they had no other striker. And she's just gone from strength to strength. She scored in the Continental Cup final, which obviously was a big moment for Arsenal to to win that. She scored in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. She now scored in both legs of the semi-final. Um, personally, I think if she hadn't have gone off yesterday, obviously she scored, um, well, she scored several times, um, had a few disallowed um, and one that did count. But then sadly, she joined the injured ranks of Arsenal women, which at the moment is almost as many players as they've got fit. Um, had to come up with, off with a quad injury. Lena Hertig came on, um, who has not been great, I think it's fair to say. And then... Hertig missed a chance in extra time. And if Stina's on the pitch, she's scoring that goal, which seems crazy to say because it would have been the other way around. You know, if we talked about this in January, 
you know, maybe just before Christmas, she, she just had no confidence or anything. But yesterday she was just absolutely everywhere. It, it's interesting that the way Arsenal usually play, obviously so much focus on build-up, going through the thirds. Stina has had to improve quite a lot. Her hold-up play and the way she's kind of got the ball, but then passed it to other people. She was never really the focal point, even when she was only the, the only fit striker. Whereas because there's been so many injuries to the likes of Leah Williamson, Kim Little, who are so integral in the Arsenal build-up, as we touched on earlier, they've, they've gone a lot longer, which means that actually Steena has been running into the channel. She's been playing on the break and she looks like a different player. Like it really, really suits her. And I think you see that with both of the goals she scored in, in each of the legs of the semi-final. It's a tap-in, but it's like she's she's made the run. She's in the right place. She just gets there. So I think that's hugely positive for Arsenal going forward, knowing that you have now got a legitimate striker that's in good form. Hopefully her quad injury isn't too serious. It looked like that was the less serious injury of the two, obviously with Laura Wienreuter looked like the dreaded ACL um, getting stretched off um, in that game as well. So that's the good. Um, the bad, it's, it's hard. It's so difficult. Football is so cruel that, I sat on on Sunday speaking to Lotta Moy at the Colney training ground. I asked her if she ever dreamed of playing at a sold out Emirates because she's a you know childhood gooner and she 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 couldn't really believe it. She said she didn't even dream that it was possible. You know, spoke really well about what what it meant for the women's game as a whole, how football had changed since the Euros, and then sadly it's her mistake that that sort of gifts Wolfsburg the win and. It, it was one of those where I suppose the, the bad is that Arsenal have worked so hard to transform their style of play to not be the typical Arsenal way just because of the injuries. They haven't been able to play like that. And then two minutes from time, when you just need to put your foot through it, you're playing like Arsenal play. But there, there was no need to play like Arsenal play in that moment. You know, just just get the ball from um, Zinsberger who passed her the ball. She had time to either kick it out or boot it long. But she took that extra touch, which allowed Jewel Brand to nip in and get the ball. So I think kind of from the press box, like two passes early, we were like, this is not the time to play like this. So I guess for this Arsenal team, I guess it's a bit like the academy, right? They 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 haven't had that many moments in a game as big as that in front of as big a crowd as that, certainly ever for the women's team. So it it was really managing those moments and across the course of the tie. In a really injury hit team, they managed those moments really well, but it's just that really crucial one that they didn't, and ultimately it cost them. Um, and then the Arsenal, wow, what can you say? You know, sold out Emirates. We, we've gone from I think Champions League last season against Barcelona. They they had about twelve thousand fans there. So to see that this season that they've sold it out, it was a fantastic atmosphere from. From the very start, I I got there super early, and the the brass band that they've they've got in for the women's team, that wouldn't work at all for the men's team. It doesn't work in men's fan culture, but it goes down really well with the women's fans. You know that was there from like three pm, brilliant atmosphere, um, and I I think it 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 really does play into the feel good feeling around the club generally at the moment that, you know, they want to be a part of this team, and I think you you have to give credit for the marketing team at Arsenal. They've They've got it on the men's socials, the women's socials. They've had player clips pushing the ticket sales. They've done a lot of analysis about the, the high number of, of females, of families that come to these games. They've changed their messaging, you know, get to the ground earlier. All of this stuff that they've really learned from having all of their games um, at the Emirates this season. They've had three league games there 
All of them have had over 40,000 fans, which is a, a huge moment for consistency. We haven't even seen that a one-off for a lot of teams in the league. You know, Chelsea, Chelsea haven't got over 40,000 once at Stamford Bridge. Um, and Arsenal have done it on three occasions. They've had five more Champions League games there. 240,000 tickets sold in total for these games. So it's just a huge step forward. And I, I thought it was interesting that that both um, Idaval and Lotta on Sunday, they said that this was really a moment to celebrate, but it, it wasn't the culmination of this project. It's just the start. And I think that's what's so positive about the women's team at the moment that I don't think anybody goes to that game yesterday. And of course they come, they come home sad because Arsenal lost and the way that they lost, but you'd want to go again, right? It was a fantastic occasion. I hate saying that because we're past that now in terms of, you know, it was ultimately a great game of football, but it doesn't help. It, it certainly helps when, when you're looking to try and attract more people to the game, when you're having a game like that. Yeah. Kai, when you look at the, the future of of the women's team. I think it was Leah Williamson and both Jonas Edevald who spoke about they can see having the women's team play there regularly. Is, is that something you can see? And it feels like the way the club has sort of maximised the um, the women's team is they've all, they've sort of tapped into a part of the fan base that perhaps wasn't going to games, perhaps couldn't get tickets to see the men's team, and they've been able to come along this journey with this team. And as Molly says, I think given that Arsenal, you know, will be feeling pretty painful, pretty bruised this morning. And one positive they can look at is that in this Champions League run, they should have brought along a new group of supporters who will hopefully in the future come regularly. I was there as a supporter uh, on on Tuesday night. I'm getting my days mixed up on Tuesday night. And um, yeah, I think all that stuff Molly says about the the more targeted messaging is, is true. And I think it's having a big effect. I think also... The price is is probably a big effect as well. Um, tickets were, I think, early bird tickets were like a, a tenner and then it went to £12.15. So that sort of affordability is something that people can get on board with. And lots of families want to go to games, lots of people want to go to games, but maybe they can't afford a, a ticket for the men's game because it is it's very expensive and it's very difficult and it's maybe not an atmosphere that, I don't know, you'd want to take young families to sometimes. So I think... There's definitely a market out there for it. Clearly, we've seen that over the past three games this season. So, um, I think if they if they're able to to put this level of, of marketing behind it and able to give it this push, then yeah, it possibly could do. Uh, it could fill out the Emirates um, I, week in week out. I'm not so sure just because of the practicalities of it and all that kind of stuff. And um, but I think we're starting to see that, that there's definitely a market there who, who'd be willing to go to games, and it'd be interesting to see sort of how that continues next season how many games they have at the Emirates next season and how many more big occasions like this they, they want to have and sort of yeah I think it's, it's definitely heading in that direction and it's definitely for the better I think the age-old problem that women's football has is ideally you'd like a middle ground you'd like something that's bigger than Bourne Wood and not in Bourne Wood um, which probably puts off quite a few people from going that far out you know, it's it's essentially a non-league ground. It's not great. I know Arsenal sold out the season tickets for that this season and quite regularly they're pretty much hitting capacity, which in reality is, is supposedly 4,500, but it's, it's basically 4,000. Um, and I think they're ready for like a, a 10,000 or 15,000 more regularly. And then once you fill that out, you're then justified in saying, right, we can move to the Emirates and it will actually make a, a profit for the club because was was speaking to someone at the club and they were talking about kind of reaching that over 10,000 threshold kind of makes it worthwhile essentially. 
Um, but the problem is you there just isn't that ground. There's there's not a random club in London that are just going to let Arsenal play there. So I think for Arsenal, they're almost having to make that jump before they were quite ready. And we probably saw that this season with the slightly lower attendances for some of the other games. They're having to make that jump to the Emirates because it's too big for Boreham Wood and they don't have a middle ground. So I think in the coming years, maybe it'll just be trying to slowly, gradually build that up to having more and more games at the Emirates, less and less games at Bourne Wood, and then hopefully tapping into that fan base enough that then eventually you can make that move. Because I think that's the problem really that, you know, as much as those fans will have enjoyed that game yesterday, will they go to another game at the Emirates? Yes, absolutely. I'm sure they would. There's no reason not to. Will they go to Bourne Wood? I don't know. And I think that's the problem. Well, I'm sure we're going to have our listeners from Bourne Wood atting us on the podcast account, telling us everyone to get down there. But look, thank you both for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, We hope we found some positives in the week that wasn't for Arsenal. Join us later in the week as we look back on the Chelsea game and preview the trip to Newcastle. Also, do check out our latest special episode, Get With The Programme, where Max Jones interviews historians, writers, collectors and sellers of the fabled Matchday programme. Stay safe, everyone.